when I was away, God, I had a God moment. Now, if you know me, you know that I don't easily say that. I don't just say it flippantly. If I say I had a God moment, then I had a God moment. And I had a God moment. And I, uh, I got a little place. I was on the coast. And I got with Jesus long hours every day. And I'm sitting there and I'm praying about the third service. Because we're going to three services after Easter. Easter will be in four. But um, 9, 10, 30, and noon, we're going to do Easter. And then, and then uh, evermore after that, Lord willing. And so I was praying about that. And the Lord brought to my mind a story from the Bible. And it's the story of Elisha. When Elisha was approached by a widow woman who had lost her husband, and she had two sons who were about to be taken into slavery because she couldn't pay the mortgage on her house. So the uh, lender was going to put her children into servitude. And so she said, man of God, please help me. Now, Elisha's a type of Christ. Man of God, please help me. Now, now, here's what he said, and this is for a lot of you. What do you have in the house? What's in the house? She said, well, I got in the house is a jar of oil. He said, get it, because all I need is what you've got. Don't look at what you don't have, but give me what you do have. So she, she got the jar of oil, and then he said, now I want you to go find as many empty vessels, jars as you can. I mean, just go up and down the neighborhood, scour the neighborhood, get all the empty jars you can. So she sent out her son. They got a bunch of empty jars, brought them back. And Elisha said, now just start pouring. I wish I had one of these jars of oil that they had right here because they started pouring and it just kept on coming and kept on coming and kept on coming until jar after jar after jar. It was a type of when Jesus multiplied the fishes and the loaves. The more they gave, the more that appeared. Until finally, it says, the oil stopped when there were no more empty jars. So see, God majors on empty things. And see, this isn't even my message today. I'm about to just give up the message and preach. But God, God majors on empty things. Okay? So it was, it was empty was good because when it was empty, it could be filled by what God had. And so, so I read that. Well, this, this story was coming up in my spirit. And so I grabbed my Bible. I'm serious now. now. Now, here again, you'll never hear me teach. Just pray, and whatever the Bible falls open to, do it. Because you may open up to where it says that Judas went and hanged himself. Go down and do likewise. <laughs> so you don't want that word, right? But, but, um, but I grabbed my Bible with this story moving in my spirit, and boom, it fell open. And my eye was immediately riveted on the one verse where he said, fill the jars. And I had written a note on it years ago, right next to that verse, that said, stretch your faith. Now here, and then God said to me, now Jeff, what do you have in the house? And I said, well, we have a full second service. Now, it's still spring break, still some folks gone. But we have, a, we have a full second service, and the first service is really healthy, really strong. And he said, he said, get something empty. Well, the only thing empty I've got is the third service. 
So he said, make way because if you give me what is empty, I'll give you what heaven has. So there we go. I mean, that's really real. So I got a word. So uh, in, in six weeks, we're going to be in three services and you will be here at 1030, not at 11. And I know you're not going to come walking in at 11 anyway, right? If we go to 1030, you're going to be on time, right? Say amen. amen. I'm going to be on time. Say amen. Come on. I'm going to be on time. So that when we sing the first song, you're all there. All right. Now, let me just put a verse up here. We're going to go ahead and get into the message today. I'm going to talk to you about the very word that we've already been discussing, worthy. And I'm going to read out of Exodus 12, worthy. How do you and I become worthy to enter into heaven's gates? How do we become worthy to make it to glory? I'm going to talk to you about the reason Jesus came. And the word worthy is our focus. Now, Exodus 12 I'm skipping through some verses, but we're starting at verse 3. We're going to end at verse 13, skipping some verses in between. Here is God speaking to Moses. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father. A lamb per household. Everybody say with me, everybody needed their own blood. Say with me, every home needed its own blood. They couldn't borrow their neighbor's lamb blood. They needed the blood over their own home. Now watch. Your lamb will be without blemish. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the what? And put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. Now I want you to read the next few words with me. Are you ready? Read. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. We got to read that one more time. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that you will make the blood more real to us today than it's ever been before. Thank you for the blood. I give you praise for the blood. Thank you, Lord, for a sure and certain way into glory. And I pray that you will anoint me to communicate this and you will anoint the people with ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to understand. I pray that your light will penetrate darkened hearts, those that might be far from you, that your spirit will graciously pull the veil off their eyes and they will see the truth of the gospel and of the blood of the lamb in Jesus name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, thank God for the blood and you can be seated. Now I want to just talk about that word worthy and about the blood today. As we make our way toward Easter, I'm starting a, a, a road to Easter 
And what we need to understand today is there's no resurrection unless there's first a crucifixion. There had to be the shedding of blood before there could be the raising from the dead. Jesus came to shed his blood. Now, that's hard for us to wrap our mind around. It seems like a bloody religion, a bloody belief system. But without the blood, there is no Christianity. Without the shed blood, we're not here today. You're not here and I'm not here. So I'm going to talk to you about the blood and how only the blood can make us worthy. Only the blood. Now, I'm going to begin with why Jesus had to die. Why did Jesus have to die such a horrible death, a cruel death? A just, I read this week about the crucifixion of Christ again, and, and I could never get to where they hit him, beat him, pulled his hair out, pulled his beard out, mocked him, spit on him, and all the things they did without it bringing me uh, just to tears. It's such a horrible thing they did to our Lord. Terrible. But he did it for you and for me. Now, if you want to know why Jesus came, there's types and shadows uh, all through the Old Testament, foreshadowings, things that God did that were like signposts pointing down the tunnel of time to the day that Jesus died on the cross. All the Old Testament is, is signs pointing forward. The Old Testament looked forward to the arrival of Jesus The New Testament looks back on the arrival of Jesus, and now the church looks forward to the re-arrival of Jesus Christ. Now, we find our answer, one of the answers of why he came, all the way back in Egypt in our text, where the children of Israel have languished for 400 years in Babylonian captivity. And they're crying out to God. And they're saying, Lord, get us out of here. Please deliver us. And God raised up Moses, spoke to him out of the burning bush. And Moses went down into Egypt with the staff in his hand, with Aaron at his side, and began to do signs and wonders that God did through them. He did 10 plagues in all in the land of Egypt, against Egypt, against the gods of Egypt. The last one being the plague of the death of the firstborn of both animals and people. That was the last plague. And it's in that last plague that God has given us in vivid technicolor the power of the blood of a slain lamb. We see it there, I mean, just starkly. It's the last plague that God introduces the power of the blood. He promises his people, what you and I need to never forget, that when he sees the blood, he will pass over you and me. That is, the judgment will pass over us. A dire eternity without God will pass over us. When God sees the blood, and I'm gonna talk to you about that verse, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Now, this happened in Egypt. And Egypt in the Bible is always a picture of the world. Now, not the beautiful world that God created. I love the creation of God. I'm in awe of the creation of God. I thank God for what he made all the time. And and I see God in everything. But I'm not talking about the created world. I'm talking about the fallen world that is in rebellion against God. The Christ-rejecting, godless world run by the devil with a satanic world system. That world. That's what Egypt personifies. That's what Egypt 
represents and symbolizes always in the Bible. And the lambs that were slain continuously in Old Testament sacrifices for atonement and for forgiveness always pointed down again, once again, always pointed down to the day that the Lamb of God would die once for all for the sins of the world. This is why John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus walking up at the baptism waters, John the Baptist said, behold, what do he call him? The Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. When John saw Jesus, he understood Jesus' purpose, and Jesus' purpose was summed up in that one word, lamb. He's the lamb. He's the sacrifice lamb. Can I tell you today that Jesus was born to die? He was born to die for you and for me. He came for that purpose, that intent. That's why Jesus came. He came to die for you and for me. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of all the world. Everyone who puts their faith in him, he takes away your sin as if you never did it. Now the Bible records the awful moment when God's judgment fell upon Egypt. And I'm just going to read it to you. Verse 29, it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn of the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon. And all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night. He and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt. For there was not a house, not a house, where there was not one dead. Can you imagine that? This was a grim night. This was a difficult night, a, a, a night of anguish, a night of tears for this Pharaoh and the land of Egypt who had resisted God for nine plagues. And now they're on the tenth one. Now I want to take this scene. And I want to shoot straight with you today. I'm going to say a lot of things you don't hear from pulpits anymore. And it's too bad. Because what I'm about to say, the whole world needs to hear. I wish I could tell this, what I'm about to say, to the whole United States of America. I wish that I could. Well, we're on 530 radio stations. We're going to tell it to a lot of them. But here we go. Egypt is a picture here. Egypt is a picture. And it tells us why Jesus came. So let me start at base one. What we see in Egypt, a type of the world, is judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. In our text, Egypt is about to experience the fiercest judgment of God of all the ten plagues. None of them compared to this last one. Judgment was on the way. Judgment was coming. God told Moses to tell the people, judgment is coming. Moses was a type of Christ. Moses said, judgment's coming. Our Savior said, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming to this world, folks. Judgment is coming to this world. I hate to tell you this. I wish I could tell you different. But judgment is coming. God tells Israel, the way to escape the approaching judgment of God is by the blood of a lamb. Now, we've got to see the type and the shadow here. Moses said, if you want to escape the judgment that is certainly coming, it's at the door, then you're going to have to turn to the blood of a lamb. And likewise, our world, a picture of Egypt, 
is on the verge of judgment. Do you believe that? I know that. I know that it's true. You know how I know it's true? The Bible tells me it's true. Let me read to you a few verses about what's, what's really right around the corner for the world. The whole world. It says, so then, Romans 14, so then each of us shall give account of himself to God, each of us. Now, you will either give an account of yourself to God or you will let the blood of Jesus give account for you. That's the only choice we've got. The blood of Jesus will be standing there. You will have the blood of Jesus. See, God, God told Moses to tell the people, I want you to dip your brush in that blood of the lamb, the slain lamb, and I want you to put it over the doorposts of your home so that you had to go through the door to get into their home, and that door where the blood was put over the door is a picture of the heart of man when it comes to the blood of Jesus. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door, and I knock. What door? The door of our heart. He said, I stand at the door of your heart, and I knock. And any man who opens the door, that means opens their heart. If you open your heart, I will come into you and sup with you, and you with me. We will have fellowship. You will enter into relationship with God through me. So the blood over the door was a picture of the blood of the lamb over the door of our heart because the heart is the gateway into who you are, your life, what you're all about. Out of the, out of the heart come all the issues of life. And so when we say, Jesus, forgive me and come into my heart, then he applies, the Holy Ghost applies the blood of the lamb to the door of your heart. So each of us shall give an account of himself to God. You will either say the blood is covering me or you will say I rejected Christ, I rejected the blood, and then we will answer for our sin. Each shall give an account of himself to God. Hebrews 9, just as it is appointed for all men once, everybody say once. You know what once means in the Greek? Once. Once to die. I hate to break it to some of you reincarnationists. Because you're not coming back as a grasshopper or a cow or your grandmama. You're not coming back. Once to die, then the judgment. I went to India one time and went into the hotel where we were staying and there was a cow walking around in the foyer of the hotel. And all these people around are starving. And here's a cow walking around in the lobby of the hotel. And I said, what's he doing in here? I want to know because I'm staying here. They said, well, they believe that could be their grandma or their grandpa. They believe that could be somebody reincarnated back as a cow. And I want to tell you something. You're not coming back as anything. It is given unto a man to die one time, and after that, the certain, certain, certain judgment. Romans 2, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give, say the two words with me, eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and don't obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be, folks, listen, wrath and fury. A day of judgment is coming. And it will not be a respecter of persons. Either the blood is over the doorpost of your heart or it is not. That's the only thing that's going to matter on that day. 
not your looks, not your pedigree, not the number of degrees you earned, not whether or not you ever got a traffic ticket, not if you were a good dad or a good mom or did good things for people or gave to charities, gave to orphanages, none of that. The only thing that's going to matter is, is the door over the post of your heart, is, is the blood over it or not? Is the blood over your heart or not? That's what's going to matter. Acts 17, he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. There's a day on God's calendar. Jesus said, I don't know when it is, and we don't know when it is, but God does. It's a day on his calendar. And if you were to see his calendar, you would see a day, and you would say, see, written in the square of that day, day of judgment. Day of judgment. And God knows when it is. And when that day comes, it's coming. So it's undeniable that judgment is coming upon the human race for its sin and rebellion against God. And I wish I could tell all of America, your problem is not a political problem. Your problem is not a drug problem or a perversion problem or an alcohol problem. Your problem is a sin problem. And Jesus died for you and rose from the dead so you could be saved. So you could be saved. Are you ready for that day? Are you ready for that day? You, you, are you ready for that day? Are you ready? You may have your 401k retirement plan all in place. You may already have your gold watch and you're hitting the links every day. So you thought about your retirement in your 60s and in your 70s, but if you thought about it beyond that, that there is another setting, another world another context you will be in. And when you're judged and you go into eternity, are you ready for that day? Because you are going to meet your maker, and so am I. I'm so glad that when I go to God, I'm going to say, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. Now I want you to notice, secondly, what didn't save Israel on that dark night? Because they were saved. While Egypt wept, they rested. How did they rest while Egypt wept? Because they had the blood over their door. And he passed by. He passed over. Judgment passed over. The judgment angel passed over and, and left them alone because he saw the blood. But what didn't save Israel that night? I, I want to just bring that out because these are things that we often think will save us and they will not. They weren't saved from judgment because they were Abraham's descendants. So they couldn't claim pedigree. Watch this, everybody. They weren't saved because they were special sons and daughters of Abraham. That's not why they were saved. They weren't saved because they were somehow God's favorites or because they had some inside track on God's mercy by virtue of who they were. They didn't say, God did not say to them, hey, some of you, you don't need the blood because, because you, you, you've really, really stood strong with Abraham. No, no. He didn't say to one Israelite, you don't need the blood. You're special. You're a favorite. Not one. Nor were they saved from judgment by any personal good works of their own. Oh, we fall into this trap. I can't tell you how many people say to me, you know, I'm basically a good person. I don't know why I need this Jesus stuff. 
I'm basically a good person. I just don't believe that God would not receive me into heaven. Well, you need to believe it. You need to believe it. Because I, I say to you again, and I know I'm preaching mainly to the choir here, but we need to understand this because this is what we need to be telling people out there. Because, because, listen, you're not special to God. He loves you, but he will never say to one solitary person, listen, you're so special, you don't need the blood. You go on over here because you don't need the blood. No, every home in Israel needed the blood. We don't hear any mention from God about how good they'd been, how they were model citizens of Egypt, how they kept the law, or how they've been really good religious people. We don't hear God saying that to one of them. He said, if you want to avoid judgment, you get the blood over the door. You get the blood over the door. It's all about the blood. When I see the blood, when I see the blood, and only the blood, not when I see you, not when I see your good works, not when I see your good looks, not when I see all of your achievements, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And I also noticed that they weren't saved from judgment because Moses was there. They couldn't claim salvation by association. God didn't say to them, hey, because you're in thick with Moses, I'm going to deliver you. You don't need the blood. Uh Uh-uh. They were following Moses. They had received Moses. But Moses was not what saved them from judgment because Moses couldn't shed his blood. It had to come from a lamb. You see, there is, folks, no salvation by genetics. Nobody is born saved. Can I say that again? You say, well, my, 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 my daddy was a great Christian. My mama was a great Christian. I was raised in a Christian family. Good for you. But I, I want to know, is the blood over your heart? Because there's, there, there's no salvation by genetics. Oh, I had a praying grandma. Well, good salvation by genetics. Oh, I had a praying grandma. Well, good for you. She's praying that you get the blood over your own heart. There's no salvation by genetics. You can't claim, well, because I had a godly family, a godly mom, a godly dad. Uh Uh-uh. You've got to be born again. You've got to be born twice. If you're born once, you're lost. If you're born twice, you're saved. If you're born once, you're blind. If you're born twice, you see. If you're born once, you're hell-bound. If you're born twice, you're heaven-bound. We must be born again. Jesus said you must. You must. You must be born again. The bottom line is they were not delivered from judgment by one solitary thing associated with themselves. God said, when I see the blood, oh folks, we've got to get back to this. We've got to get back to this. The church used to preach this all the time. We've got to get back to this. You can't choose any old way. Can I be honest with you today? Can I sound real narrow-minded and very anti-politically correct and just tell you that there is only one way? There's only one blood. There's only one name given among men 
whereby we must be saved. The name of Jesus. No other way will do. Buddha won't get you there. Muhammad won't get you there. Allah won't get you there. No other religious figure in history will get you there. Only one man standing in history can get you through heaven's gates. His name is Jesus. And this brings me to the reason why Jesus had to die on the cross. Why do you have to die on the cross? Why a crucifixion before there was a resurrection? Why do you have to die on the cross? I'm going to say it again. Israel relied that night only on the blood. Jesus came to die. The good news is that here in this story, God reveals the one and only way to avoid judgment and experience eternal life. When I see the blood, when I see that blood of the lamb, then I will pass over you. There's an old hymn that goes like this. Christ our Redeemer died on the cross, died for the sinner, paid all his due. All who receive him need never fear. Yes, he will pass, will pass over you. When I see the blood, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. Now there's at least 43 references to the blood of Jesus in the New Testament all of them showing us that it's the blood and only the blood by which we get into heaven and become worthy in the eyes of God. Even Judas, the betrayer, called it innocent blood. Innocent blood. Jesus was not born in sin. He was not shaped in iniquity. He did not have Adam's sin imputed to him because he did not have an earthly daddy. God was his father. Peter called it the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. It's the cleansing blood in 1 John and the washing blood in Revelations 1, declaring that it removes the guilt of our sins. Aren't you glad you could wake up this morning with no condemnation? Aren't you glad that no matter what you did in the past, no matter how bad that it was, that when you came to Jesus, he said, forgiven, forgiven, and he justified you, which means just as if you never did it. It's just as if you never did it. I'm so glad that I don't have to smoke something, drink something, shoot something, snort something to numb myself from inner pain because of guilt, because my guilt has been washed away by the blood of the lamb. Paul calls it the purchasing blood in Acts 20 and the redeeming blood twice in Ephesians and Colossians. It's also called the justifying blood and the peacemaking blood. And its power doesn't end with our salvation for it's also the sanctifying blood and it's the blood of the new covenant and the everlasting covenant. The covenant we stand in, the new covenant, was not written with the ink of men, but God penned this new covenant with the blood of his only begotten son. It's a blood covenant. Amen. I thank God for the blood of the lamb. What about you? Do you thank God for the blood of the lamb? Thank God for the blood of the lamb. Now, some time ago, there was a candy maker. And I'm going to put something up here. You see that candy cane? How many of you have eaten a whole bunch of those? Can I tell you that it was a Christian that came up with the candy cane? Let me tell you what he was thinking. A Christian candy maker a long time ago in Indiana 
wanted to make a candy that would be a witness for Jesus, so he made the Christmas candy cane. And let me tell you what he was thinking as you look at that picture. He used several symbols of the birth, ministry, and death of Jesus Christ. He began with a stick of pure white, hard candy. White to symbolize the virgin birth and the sinless nature of Jesus. He was pure. And hard to symbolize the solid rock upon which we stand. I love David. Psalms 40. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. And he pulled me out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay. Then what did he do? Then he set my feet upon a rock and establish my goings. Many shall see it and, te- and uh, put a song on my lips, and many shall see it and te- testify of the Lord and give God praise for that. He puts your, your feet on a rock. The candy maker made the candy in the form of a J, and he did that because he was talking about Jesus. And not only a J for Jesus, but as the shepherd's staff, Listen, the shepherd's staff that reaches down into the ditches of the world to lift out the fallen lambs who, like sheep, have gone astray. How many of you are so glad that we were in that horrible pit and stuck in that miry clay and you couldn't get yourself out? All of a sudden, there appeared a shepherd's staff and wrapped itself around you and pulled you out of that horrible pit and out of that miry clay and set your feet upon a rock and establish your goings and put a new song in your mouth. Even praise to our God. So that's the shepherd's staff and J for Jesus. But then finally the candy maker stained it with red stripes. He used three small stripes, as you can see in that picture, for the blood shed by Christ on the cross so that we could have the promise of eternal life. Even the candy cane maker was thinking of the blood of Jesus. White for purity, hard like Jesus, the solid rock, J for the name of Jesus, and red stripes for the blood he shed. I love singing the song that we sing so often. What can wash away my sin? Can we stand together? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood over the door of your heart. Can we bow for a moment of prayer? Father, I thank you today that you gave us Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that the crucifixion made way for the resurrection. Thank you that the blood makes us worthy. Nothing else can. But the blood makes us worthy to walk through those gates in heaven, to walk the streets of gold, to walk into our mansion built for us by Jesus, to live eternally in bliss and life in the bosom of the Savior. Thank you for the blood. And with our heads bowed, Maybe today, there's a question mark in your mind about whether or not Jesus and his blood are over the door of your heart. I learned a long time ago, never assume that everybody in a church service is saved. 
If you've got a question mark in your mind about whether or not you're his and he is yours and the blood really does cover your heart, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. Just a simple prayer. I prayed this prayer when I was in juvenile detention center as a 16-year-old boy. And that blood covered my heart and he changed my life. And maybe today you can say, you know, Jeff, I've been in church, I've been involved in the things of God, but I've drifted. I've drifted. But let me tell you how to get back the same way, the blood. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The blood is the way back. So I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. You can pray this prayer. If you've even got a question mark about your salvation, you need to pray this prayer. Settle it today. But first, I want to pray with those who have drifted. Just say with me, Lord, I believe your blood covers my sin. I confess to you, I've gotten away from you in some ways. Forgive me, Lord. Carry me back into the fullness of the will of God for me. Now, for those of you who need the the blood over the door of your heart, I'm going to pray right now, and you can pray it with me. Say, Jesus, I believe you died for me. You can do it. Come on. Pray it. If If you feel a nudge, you need to pray it. Jesus, I believe you died for me. I ask you to forgive me. I put my faith in your shed blood. Let it wash my sin away. And Jesus, come into my heart.